Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, a lot of exciting things to talk about. Um, we, we're entering into this sort of like critical shift in the year right now in terms of the, just the energy of the year. Um, everybody knows that this is the, the month of Av right now, uh, also known as Menachem Av. Av is it's a, uh, just a very, very intense month just because um, there's so much tragedy in it. And yet at the same time, it's destined to be one of our greatest, uh, happiest months. So there's this sort of um, innate, sort of like incredible energy that's just sort of like buried over right now. Uh, but, um, but you see it reflected even at this point in history before... Well, let me just explain. The, the, the ninth of Av, also known as Tisha B'Av, um, is sort of just the saddest day of the year. And just uh, strings of national and world calamities have happened on that day, including the, the destruction of both holy temples in Jerusalem and the Spanish Inquisition and the beginning of World War I, which led you know, into World War II and the Holocaust and just horrible, horrible events. Um, Nonetheless, simultaneously, we have this tradition that the Mashiach, the, the, the great Redeemer, is born on the day of the ninth of Av. And it's sort of like, it's sort of interesting how that works exactly. So let me just talk through that for a moment. Like, is it that he's physically born on the ninth of Av? That will be his birthday? So that would be the simplest way to understand that, that Medrash, that teaching. And, and yet, Maybe you could say it's a little more allegorical, meaning to say that the, the intense unity that happens on the ninth of Av among the Jewish people when we all get together and we try to set aside our differences and really sort of focus on what we're supposed to be doing, maybe that energy gives birth to the Mashiach. So, so it's more of an allegorical thing. Or maybe what you can say is, that the incredible unity that comes from all of us coming together actually triggers the birth of the Messiah. Meaning to say that he actually is, so we, it's, we go right back to the beginning, and he actually is born on the ninth of us. But the trigger is all of us coming together. So however you're able to understand it, the point is, is that you've got this incredible tension, this incredible duality to the day where, on the one hand, it's sort of been marked for destruction, and on the other hand, it actually has within its nucleus, if you will, this overwhelming sense of celebration and, and redemption. Now, I want to share with you a, uh, a teaching that I saw from the Or HaChayim, one of our greatest uh, Torah masters. And, you know, he has an interesting story. He never met the Baal Shem Tov, and yet, um, sort of, our Jewish legend has it that he and the Baal Shem Tov were, were best friends. And that when, spiritually speaking, one went up, the other was down, and when the other was up, the other was down, so they balanced each other. And there's even sort of, again, a sort of kind of like a, a legend that had they been able to share one Shabbos together in the land of Israel, that that would have brought the redemption. So, in case you haven't heard of the Or HaChayim, or aren't familiar with him, just the fact that he was spiritual soulmates with the Baal Shem Tov, you know, should just tell you how, how great he was. Um, so listen to this in terms of unity, because this is really a time of all of us coming together. Listen to what he says. Now, everybody knows that there's 613 mitzvahs, but um, 
But sort of a common mistake, a common misunderstanding that people make is they think, well, if I were super holy, like beyond, like amazing, like if I was incredibly holy, I would be able to keep all 613 mitzvahs. And it's only sort of my lack of whatever that's, that's keeping me from being able to do that. So that's actually not correct. It's, it's impossible to keep all 613 mitzvahs for the reason that some mitzvahs are for kings, some mitzvahs are for farmers, some mitzvahs are for men, some mitzvahs are for women. So there's literally no one who is even eligible to keep all 613. Of course, we don't have a holy temple now, so that's a lot of them right there in terms of all the... the but even if we did, no one would be able to keep all 613. Okay? So then, and in fact, there are certain mitzvahs, this is actually a fascinating area of halacha, of Jewish law, which is that there are certain mitzvahs that you can only keep if you've broken other mitzvahs. So, for instance, there's a mitzvah to return stolen property, but you can only keep that if you steal. <laughs> so, so, there's a, an amazing, like, you know, I, I, I often joke that, you know, in AA, you've got this idea of someone who's sober, but then they drink again, they fall off the wagon. But in Torah, if you fall off the wagon, you fall onto another wagon, which is meaning to say is there's, there's a mitzvah to return to God. So no matter, no matter what you do, you're on the wagon of returning to God. So, so whatever it is, you're always, you're always there, which makes sense, since if God is everywhere, and God made the world out of the Torah, that means the Torah is everywhere, which means that you can't ever be without access to some kind of mitzvah. Um, so, but now, listen to this. So if you can't keep all 613 mitzvahs, how do, we, how do we do it? Right? If no person can do it, how do you do it? So the Orach HaKhaim says like this, when all of us are together in, a, in, a, in unity, when we have unity as a people, then what happens is, is that I access your merit and you access my merit. And all of us come together and that's how we make a completion. Because we're one soul. So now he says something even further, which is amazing and very much in keeping with just the whole notion of exile. And we're getting past Tisha B'Av right now, but we have to have this in mind. You see, if there isn't unity between us, then I can't access your soul's merit. So there's a block, so to speak, whatever it is, whatever it is, there's a block. So, so what I love about that. You know, this sort of gets back to Federal's paper number 10. <laughs> As if we were discussing Federal's paper number 10. But anyway, is that the whole kind of genius of the way the American government was, was um, organized by its founders was that they made it in the self-interest of people to do the right thing. In other words, through checks and balances... Each side wants to protect their own sphere of influence. But they were positioned by the founding fathers in such a way where in doing something that's sort of venal and selfish, they end up increasing justice and democracy and protecting the stability of the government. That's sort of like the genius of the American system. Okay? So... So, the Torah system, actually, if you think about it, predates this, 
And if you understand the teaching that I just said, that it's actually in your interest to be at peace with other people, because then you are able to access their soul's merits. So that's why you don't want there to be any blocks between you and anyone. Besides the fact that it's the right thing to do. You see, but it's even deeper than that, actually. Because if you realize that we're one soul, then, you see, one of the primary problems in terms of unity is that each of us looks at another person as the other. That's, that's him. This is me, but that's you. This is me, but that's you. But if you realize that we have one soul, and you realize that, that if I'm at peace with you, then I'm sharing all of your goodness, and you're sharing all of my goodness, then you look at other people and you go, well, wait a second, that's also me, and that's also me, and that's also me, and I'm also you, and I'm also you. So you see everyone as an extension of yourself. And now you're getting into very high levels of spirituality at that point. Because you're breaking down all the superficial barriers. So, so now, now all of a sudden, the Jewish calendar takes this sharp turn, you know, and goes from the ninth of Av, which is like the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, right? Even though it contains the seeds of like total redemption. But nonetheless, and we get to the 15th of Av, also known as Tuba'av. Okay? Why is it called Tuba'av? Just a, just, a, just a side note here. You see, Tu means the 15th. Tu means 15 in Gamatria. So let me just explain to you, because there's a beautiful bit of Torah reverence there that um, could be missed. So let me just explain that to you for a moment. So, ha- so Tuba'av is the 15th of the month of Av. It's the full moon of Av. And is called by the Gemara one of the two happiest days in the entire year. By the way, that's tonight. That's tonight, this year. So, um, so along with Yom Kippur, a lot of people think Yom Kippur is one of the happiest days of the year. I thought it was one of the saddest days of the year. But all of our sins are forgiven on Yom Kippur. So it's obviously one of the happiest days of the year. So that's a big attitude adjustment that a lot of people have to make. It's very happy. So, but nonetheless, so Tuba'av, the 15th of the month of Av, is, is another, is the other happiest day of the year. And we'll get into why in a moment. But I just want to explain this sort of like smaller note, why it's called Tuba'av, okay? So Tu, we said it's the 15th of the month. Tu is the letters Tes and Vav. Tes is the number 9. Vav is the number 6. 9 and 6 is 15. So Tuba'av means the 15th of Av. Tubishvat means the 15th of the month of Shvat. But if you think about it just for a half a second, there's a much easier way to reach the number 15. Not 9 and 6, 10 and 5. Right? Why not? You know, you know, it's like bizarre to do 9 and 6 for 15 when you can do 10 and 5, right? But there's a problem with that. 10 is Yud and 5 is He. And Yud and He is the name of God. So we don't want people just sort of like going, Yabaav, right? Because you're just misusing and being very, very casual with a, a very exalted, you know, holy name of God. So, so the rabbis changed it to Tuba'av. So, so, again, the reason why I love that is, you know, we're just, 
there's just, it's just reverence on top of reverence on top of reverence. And sometimes they just assume that you know what it is. But it's just beautiful just how careful and loving our sages have been with, with, in terms of guarding and protecting our relationship with God. So that's just a little tiny side note. But anyway, so getting back to the greatness of Tuba'av. So there's a lot to say on it, but I want to zero in on one point. And this is kind of, it's kind of for me, an exciting point. And, and I think that it can give us all a lot of strength. A very, very important central idea. So let me just tell you, just before we get to it, you just need a little bit of background. What, why Tuba'av is considered so great? And, um, you know, in, in, in this book, it's a great series. It's a, it's a good book to have. A, actually, it's a three volumes. It's great to have in your library if you don't have it. It's called The Book of Our Heritage by Eliyahu Kitov. It's a, it's a classic book. It goes through um, all the holidays in the year, the major ones and the minor ones. And it's just a very good reference book because it just tells you kind of all the classic teachings on all the days. So... Um, if you look in there, it tells you that sort of the most obvious comparison between Tuba'av and, and, and Yom Kippur is that Tuba'av is a day when, when sin is also forgiven. Our, mis- our mistakes are also forgiven or have been forgiven historically. So that's the most immediate comparison between the two. But let's go into a little bit more detail. The biggest thing, the Gomorrah lists five, five great events that happened on, on Tuba'av. I want to focus in on what I think is the most major of the five. And then we'll all get, like, I think, a very powerful life lesson from this. Which is that the decree of 40 years of wandering in the desert, the decree that an entire generation of Jews had to die out before we reached the land of Israel, was, it was annulled on Tubav. So this was the day where the 40 years of wandering in the desert ended. Okay? So that's awesome. That's huge. That's huge. So the calculation that they make was 40 years of wandering, 600,000 sort of root souls, right? That's 15,000 people a year. That's the, that's the, the calculation that's done uh, that Rabbi Kito presents. Okay. But now listen to this. Let's get into the actual details of how... Um, of how they realize this, because this is the point I want to get into. So the rabbis teach the following thing happened. On the ninth of Av is when the death would come. I guess, so people would, sounds a little bit kind of uh, dark, but I'm just telling you what it says. People would dig their own graves, which in a, in a way, if they know they're going to die, why make someone else dig your grave, right? I mean, it, you know, just the levels of sensitivity. That just sort of, you just have to think an extra step. It's sort of like, look, you know you're going to die. What do you want me to dig your grave for? You're perfectly healthy right now. You dig your own grave, you know? Or just, you know what, I, I don't want to trouble the... It's going to be hard enough losing me. I'll just dig my own grave. I mean, however you want to learn it out. It's just a beautiful sensitivity. But anyway, that aside, people would dig their own graves, lie in their grave on the ninth of Av. Okay? And then they'd be buried the next day. Right? So this is what was happening for, you know, for 40 years, basically. So what happened on the, on the last go-round? On the last go-round? They, they dug their graves. 
people lay down in their graves and no one died. And then they went, oh, huh, that's weird. We must have calculated the, the um, cycle of the moon incorrectly. So the next night, they dug, well, I guess the grave was dug already. They, they lie down and the next morning they woke up. And they were like, that's weird. Huh, it's, I guess we're off. They did it the next night, and they did it the next night, and they did it the next night. Thinking each time we got it wrong, because every time they'd wake up and they were okay. Until it became Tuba'av, a full moon, and they were like, no, we, we didn't get it wrong. The decree of dying in the desert is over. It's over. We can go into Israel now. All right? All right. So that's, that's the teaching. That's, that's the end of the teaching. Okay? But I was thinking about what this means exactly. And, and here's, the, here's the sort of the breakthrough idea here. You know what this means? The decree was over on the ninth of Av already, but they just didn't realize it. Which means a decree can be over and you won't necessarily even realize it. In other words, there isn't a direct correlation between a decree ending on a person and the person being aware of the fact that the decree on you is over. That's a very important idea. Now let me just bring it home and apply it to us in our own lives. It could be, chas v'shalom, God forbid, we shouldn't even know from it, but it could be that there's some decree on us that's stopping us from reaching a particular goal, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is that we want in life, that it's just like, God has just decreed it's not going to happen. But, that's not forever. Now what happens if the decree is no longer there? Now if we try, we'll be successful. But, what if a person has become so habituated to the fact that it's not going to work, that they've given up trying. That means that the gates could be open and everything is laid out for your success. But because you've stopped trying, you'll never achieve it. I heard a teaching from Rabbi Dale on Pesach night that I really love. He said, Pesach night, you know, Pesach, Passover is all about we're celebrating our freedom. So he said like this, that the rabbis compared it to a person is in a jail cell and the door to the jail cell is opened, but it's up to the person to walk through the door. So, so that ties in with this whole notion. What if there was a decree? Let's say there was a decree. But let's say the decree is gone. From this teaching you see, you don't know necessarily whether it's gone or not. You don't get a, like a tap on your shoulder Oh, by the way, the decree has ended. But it may nonetheless have 100% ended. And you'll never know unless you walk through the jail cell door, which might be open. So, so the lesson is never to give up, never to stop trying, never to allow fear to rule you. So... So that's one of the awesome lessons of Tuba'af. And, you know, 
full moons for us are like really, the Jewish people are really into full moons. Because full moons represent absolute completeness and, and ascension. And, and it symbolizes redemption. In fact, there's a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah, which is really one of the wilder prophecies, which is, I'm paraphrasing it right now, but they talk about in the end of days that there's going to be, it's going to become nighttime, but the nighttime is going to become like daytime. So it's sort of like, what's going on? It's nighttime, but it's daytime. What's going on exactly? So Rabbi Moshe Shapiro Shlita, one of the greatest rabbis in the world today, uh, explained it in the following way, that this is what it's talking about. That what's going to happen is, at a certain point, the moon is going to become full, and it's not going to become less full. It's just going to, like the light of the moon is just going to increase and increase and increase. So much so, it's going to reflect so much light from the sun that nighttime is going to become like daytime. But this idea that at a certain point, at a certain time in our history, the moon is going to hit full moon and isn't going to decrease. So the full moon for us really represents redemption in a really strong way, you know? So, so Shem should bless us. Now, I want, to, I want to talk about a Pusik, um, which, which is in this week's Torah portion, which is, I think, really strong, really, really beautiful Pusik. So listen to this. It's, um, it says, You who cling to Hashem your God, you are all alive today. And in Hebrew it's, Vatama Devekim, Badunai, Elohechem, Chaim Chuchem Hayom. And whenever we take out the Torah, three times a week to read the Torah, everyone says this before we, before we, before we read it. So I just want to give you some of the uh, Torah commentary about this, this passage, because this is one of the key passages that we say over and over again throughout the year, and it's in this week's uh, portion. So I'm going to read this to you again in English, and see if you can figure out the, the sages from the Talmud said there's an extra word in this, in, this, in this verse. See if you can hear what the extra word in this verse is. In other words, the, the redundant word, if you will. What's, what word is redundant? You who cling to Hashem your God, you are all alive today. I'll read it one more time. You who cling to Hashem your God, you are all alive today. So, I'll... Uh, I'll tell you what the extra word is. The extra word is today. Because if you are all alive, then you're alive today. <laughs> if you're alive, you're already alive today. So what do you need alive today for? Right? You understand? You hear how it's extra? So this is just a, the tiniest example of the greatness of the sages and their analytical power, how they would look at a verse and just, you know, be unrelenting in terms of digging out what the, what the actual message of the verse is. You know? So, so they say, they say something really great. And there are many teachings on this, on this verse. But I, I'll just tell you this because it, it touches on one of my favorite subjects in the, in the whole Torah, in the whole world. Which is, so, so, so you who cling to 
Hashem your God, are all alive today. Today must refer to a day where other people aren't alive. So that it's not redundant. In other words, so what they understand it to mean is it's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Because you are all alive today, a day when other people are not alive. So this is one of the sources for our belief in the resurrection of the dead at the end of days, which is in the five books. And, and it's also giving you the key to knowing how you can join the resurrection club. Club resurrection. That's like a great, isn't a great getaway name for like a holiday retreat. How's business? Not so good. You think it's the name? It might be the name. Um, but anyway, so, so, but by cleaving to God and the Torah, that's basically you're tapping into eternity. You're tapping into forever. And so you, you, you're gaining access to, to forever, basically. Now, now there's an interesting kavana here. Um, this is for putting on tefillin. Something to have in mind when you put on tefillin. So, so this is, comes from the Shinova Rebbe. The Shinova Rebbe was the son of the Sanza Rebbe and was a great Hasidic master. And of course, the Sanza Rebbe is legendary. Um, so what he points out, something very interesting is in this verse, Va'atama devekim ba'ashem elkechem chayim chuchem hayom, that there's seven words in this verse. And so, you know, when you, you're, you're wrapping tefillin on your forearm, you do it seven times. So the Shin of Rebbe, for each wrap of the seven times, would say one of the words from this verse. And it's funny, I, I learned that a few years ago, and I've, I've done it every once in a while, I don't do it every time, you know, but it's, it's a beautiful kavana to have. Another kavana, by the way, is that when you wrap the seven, you know, because... You know, there are different traditions in terms of wrapping. The, the one that I do, though, is you've got three above your elbow and then seven on your forearm. That totals seven. I'm, I'm sorry, that totals ten, which correlate with the ten spherot, which is sort of the organizing principle of creation. And those are broken in, down into three and seven. So you've got three above, seven below. And so you're sort of... I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit intense, but just to finish the thought, and I'm going to do this in shorthand, so I'm, I'm sorry if uh, I'm not explaining it completely, but there's a yud by the box in, in terms of the knot. And that represents sort of like yud in, in, in terms of our understanding of the alphabet represents godliness. And so basically what you're doing is you're bringing this point of godliness all the way down through creation into this world. Which is our mission, basically, to take the spiritual, bring it down into this world, elevate it amidst the material, and to sanctify it. So all sorts of things are going on with the wrapping of tefillin. But, but in terms of this Pasuk, you who cling to Hashem your God, you are all alive today. Why is the Shin of Rebbe saying, have this in mind now? Because what are you doing? You're clinging to God. You're literally tying yourself to God. So it's actually an incredibly appropriate verse to have in mind. 
Because you're literally tying yourself to... You're, how can you be clinging to God more when you're wrapping tefillin? You're, you're, you're tying yourself to God, literally. You know? So it's, it's actually a very, very exalted thing. Um, how, do you, how do you get life? How do you get real life? So many of the Rebbes also say, you who cling to Hashem your God, you are all alive today. In other words, this is a recipe for life. To the extent that you cleave to God is the extent to which you're alive. You know, we have a teaching. It's a bit of a scary teaching if you actually really want to dwell on it. But they say that there are, that the wicked, even while they're alive in this world, they're dead. And the righteous, even after they're dead, they're still alive. So in other words, what is the definition of life? What is the definition of life? The definition of life is you know, to the extent that you're actually tapped into reality. And of course we know that the soul lives on. The soul lives on. So, you know, this is one realm of existence, but perhaps an even realer realm, even though to us it can be a little bit abstract, but perhaps a realer realm is the next world, since that's eternal and this is temporary. You know? I'll tell you something, and it really pains me to say. Uh, this morning I heard about uh, a young guy, you know, young, he was in his 30s, but that's, that's young still. And uh, he, he died very unexpectedly. And someone I knew, Smishamashad Avon Aliyah, Philip and Neil Hakohen. And a uh, sweet, beautiful guy. And I happened last night and I spoke with his father. And his father said, you know, he's, his father was very calm. And he said, someone asked me, how come I'm so calm? And he said to me, he said, I'm so calm because I know that he's with God and he's in a better place. And that's what it is. And he says... This is, this is what we believe. And then he looked at me and he said, with utter conviction, and it just like was almost shocking. He gave, he gave me a very hard look. And he said, this isn't what we believe. This is what we know. And that's what it is. This is what we know. This is what we know. And, uh, you know, the, the real question is, you know, like Reb Shlomo, my teacher, would say, this thing that you're involved in, whatever it is, fill in the blank. He said, would you die for it? And then he would say, and if not, then why are you living for it? So... So we get, all of us in this world, we get a time up at the plate. And it's not a long time. It feels like a long time. It's one of the tests of existence. And it's one of the, and I use this word with very, very heavy quotations, but it's one of the tricks, so to speak, that that this world plays on us. Is that it presents a very compelling alternative in order to preserve free choice. 
And this alternative is that this physical realm is the true reality. This physical realm is the ultimate reality. And there's just enough continuity around us that we're surrounded by that we really buy into it. And one of the interesting things is, i tell you something that really struck me. You see, I told you there's a big shift in the calendar from Tisha B'Av to Tu B'Av, from the 9th of Av to the 15th of Av. And one of the beautiful things you should just know is, you know, stand-up comedians aside, Jewish people as our national identity, you know, in, in a real sense, is not a depressed, we're not a depressed people. You know, we, we're presented in this sort of caricaturish, you know, neurotic, depressed sort of mode for, to get people to laugh and things like that. And it's not, it's not our national character. It just isn't, you know. And, and uh, actually, you know something? There's a very interesting piece. I didn't read it, but I know the gist of it, just from the, the, the cover. It's the cover story of this week's Jewish Journal, Los Angeles Jewish Journal. And it has a beautiful... Uh, Hollywood actress on the cover and it says the new Jewess and it's all about how, car- how Hollywood has changed the stereotypical role of the Jewish woman from a nagging abrasive woman into an exotic sultry very desirable you know attainment and it's, it's just I think that's a very positive very very positive thing um, that's going on um, because we're misrepresented. I mean, we're, we as a people are the most idealistic, loving people, you know, but at the same time, we're incredible, incredibly concerned with details and business and everything like that, while also having this overarching redemptive view. I mean, we're, we're touching all of the aspects of, of reality and looking really precisely at every single part of it, you know, without losing the big picture. It's, a, it's an amazing, we're an amazing people, you know. And the reason why I'm bringing it up right now is because look how we go from the bottom to the top. Look how we go from the ninth of Av, which is the saddest day of the year, and you can hardly blink before you get to the 15th of Av, which is the happiest day of the year. I mean, that's, that's who we are. We, maybe we hit low places, but we don't, we don't dwell in our depression. We get back up and we, and, we, and we start fighting again. That's who we are. And believing again and hoping again and loving again. So, so just in terms of just understanding this world, there's a little kind of cautionary P.S., What's the cautionary P.S., right? So in the Torah reading for Tisha B'Av, it's a special Torah reading that we have. And do you know that that passage that we read is after Tisha B'Av also? In other words, that, that's, a, that's a special one. That's not according to the calendar. Like on the holidays, they pick out special Torah readings that apply to the holiday, and so we don't go chronologically. We just pick the, the idea that's most appropriate and we read that on the holiday. So what I'm trying to tell you, just so you follow, is the one that we read on Tisha B'Av, the one that was specially selected, is actually from the Torah portion 
right after Tisha B'Av. In other words, it's sort of like a PS. It's sort of like, you know something? Now we're not in Tisha B'Av anymore. But don't forget. Don't forget. You know, don't forget. And what does that special portion say? So here's how it begins. And I'm just paraphrasing right now. It starts off in a very sort of seemingly innocent kind of like way. Like you don't really know what point it's making. But I thought about it and I realized, wow, that's like really intense. It says like this. When you are in the land, right? So that's first of all an assurance to the people in the desert that you're going to make it into the land. Don't worry. I know you're wandering right now, but you're going to make it. When you go into the land and you have children and you have grandchildren, you're going to grow corrupt in your ways. I was thinking about that. And then it says you're going to make images of other gods and things like that. And don't do that. So I was thinking, what, 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 is, what is Hashem trying to tell us here? He's talking about complacency and he's talking about this illusion that the physical world is the ultimate reality. Listen to the words again. When you go into the land and you have children and you have grandchildren. Now, let's just focus on that for a moment. What does that suggest? It suggests a stable community, right? Life is normal. You actually, you meet someone, you get married, you have a kid, you send the kid to school, you raise them, you've got a whole community, he finds or she finds their soul connection, they get married, they have children. That's a lot of continuity, right? That's a lot of sense that, you know what? This is the world. This is life. This is what there is. Okay, yeah, we got religion and well, whatever it is. You know, we don't believe in religion, by the way. Judaism doesn't believe in religion. Judaism believes in reality. Religion is some weird band-aid term. It's like, what is religion? It's like, I want reality. I don't want religion. So, so what we're describing is reality. Okay? So, so anyway... There's a sense of continuity where, where our eyes get closed over and our hearts get closed over because we think that this is all there is. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to learn Torah every day if you can. Even if it's just five minutes. Whatever it is. Every day. And one of the things that I really recommend, there are a number of books that have very short passages um, one of them that I love is Bringing Heaven Down to Earth by Rabbi Tzvi Friedman. A great book. Oh, the subtitle is 365 Meditations of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Awesome book. It's, it's short and incredibly deep. And each, there, each, each teaching is like one paragraph long or less. Right? And you can think about it all day. You can think about it all day. And you make a fixed time. One of the questions that they say will be asked by the heavenly court after 120 is, did you make a fixed time for Torah study? Right? So you make a fixed time before you go to bed. Better when you have coffee in the morning, because then you have the whole day to think about it. Right? And if you have one strong idea, you can think about it all day. At least all day. All right. So I just want to wrap it up. And um, and just uh, just good things, you know. Maybe with your permission, I'll just breeze through 
one more idea. I won't spend too much time on it, but just, just so you have just one more nugget, okay? Which is that everybody knows that the name of Hashem, the Yudke Vavke, right? Stands for Rachamim, stands for mercy. It's Hashem's exalted name. And there's a different permutation of the letters of Hashem's name, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, for each of the 12 months. Because you can do 12 permutations on those, on those letters. Okay? So the Tziruf, the permutation for the month of Av, is He, Vav, Yud, and He. And the B'nai Asaskar points out something very beautiful. He says, look, in that you have the blueprint for the whole energy flow of the month of Av. Now remember, we said Tuba Av, which is this happy day, right? Where the energy shifts. Two means 15, right? So, so let's look at the name of Hashem for Av. He and Vav is actually Hashem's name being spelled backwards. Because if you were to spell Yud and He and Vav and He backwards, you would spell it He, Vav, right? You would begin to spell it backwards. So since that's the name of mercy, if you spell it backwards, that's showing on judgment or din, right? So the month of Av, it's He, Vav. It's the, it's the name of Hashem is being spelled backwards, which shows on din, which is the character of the beginning of the month of Av, right? With Tisha B'av, it's very sad, filled with judgment, this very strong Mita. But then what happens? It goes to Yud and He, which is the straight spelling, the merciful spelling of Hashem's name. And Yud and He adds up to what? Fifteen. Because on the fifteenth of the month of Av, the energy shifts, and Hashem's merciful name is being spelled correctly now, in its proper flowing way. So, so there's so much precision to the teachings of our sages and how they link with the calendar and with our own lives. And, and I'm, I'm betting on them. <laughs> I'm betting on God. You know, it's like, listen, you know what the sad thing is? The sad thing is, what's the alternative? Really, I'm just speaking just personally right now. What's the alternative? That I think I'm so smart that I'm going to figure it out better than, 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 than anybody else who's ever existed? I'm smart enough to know that I'm not that smart. <laughs> you know, let me, let me invest in forever. You know, and, and what's the worst that can happen? I turn out to be a nicer person than I intended to be? Is that, is that really the worst thing that can happen? You know, so I just think, and, and, and the upside, right, eternity, it's hard to argue with eternity. So anyway, Shem should bless us. We should just see good things and happy things, and we shouldn't stop trying. And we should realize that, that the door to the prison cell is open, but it's up to us to continue to try and to walk through it. And we should just celebrate together. Okay.